Oh, wait, we're supposed to test. Okay. Hi, what's up? Hey, what's up with you? What's up? Jump for joy. Hi, I'm Sadie, and this is Jump for Joy. Each episode, inspiring professionals share their secrets to living a healthy, joyful life. In today's episode, I get to sit down in person and chat with the incredible Mark Sisson. He's been such an inspiration to me and a mentor of mine for a few years now, so it was such an honor to have him on here today. You may know Mark as a former Olympic qualifying marathoner, Ironmaner, and triathlete, or is the founder of the incredible company Primal Kitchen, whose mayo was the number one condiment sold on Amazon this year, or is the founder of the paleo blog Mark's Daily Apple, or as the founder of Primal Blueprint Publishing and the author of The Primal Blueprint and the Keto Reset Diet and many more books. In this episode, we talk all about Mark's favorite quick workouts for on the go and the importance of play in his life and how workouts shouldn't just be for punishment or for just the sake of working out. It should be for fun and to enhance your life. We also talk about his new love of keto and the benefits of it and about his new book, The Keto Reset Diet, and how Mark became a fat-burning beast, and you can too. After you're done listening, make sure to head over to my Instagram, at goodiesagainstthegrain, because I'm running a huge giveaway of all of my favorite Primal Kitchen products, including their protein powders, dressings, mayo, and everything that I love from Mark's company. So make sure to head on over there and enter, and enjoy the episode, guys. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sadie. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here today talking all about your journey with paleo and fitness and just giving everyone that information that they need to live their healthiest life. Well, it's my pleasure, and let's see what we can accomplish in changing <laughs> the way the world eats today. I love it. I love it. Why don't you tell people a little bit about your journey with fitness and running, because that's been a huge part of your life. And I think it really shaped your whole brand and your business. Yeah, it did. Um, well, the story goes like this. Um, I was born in a small fishing village in Maine where I grew up and uh, was not a, um, a, a particularly strong or athletically gifted child. Um, walked to and from school and eventually um, started to jog to and from school to just save time. I could find out I could, I could beat the bus home if I jogged. Um, and ultimately, um, there, was a, there was a part of my upbringing that involved uh, bullies and getting beat up on the way home from school. So the running became an even more useful utilitarian pursuit. Um, you know, as I, uh, as I found this um, running to be uh, useful in my life, and I found that uh, my interest in fitness and in uh, exercise, and particularly in longevity, I was like, I was 13 or 14 years old, and I was like reading about longevity. <laughs> it was weird. Um, and I saw that you know, the more aerobic activity you engaged in, perhaps the longer you'd live, the better it was for your heart. Started reading books about nutrition and how would you fuel all of those miles. Um, and it turned out in those days it was with complex carbohydrates, uh, lots of carbs. It almost didn't matter where they came from. Uh, and over the years, I just went into this um, path where I was running a lot and I was training hard and I started to compete in track and field races, cross-country races in high school and then later on in college and got to be a good enough runner that when I got out of college, I thought, well, I'd try for, I'd, uh, try out for the U.S. Olympic team in the marathon, which was um, 1976 is when I sort of started training hard and it was for the 1980 Olympic Games. So uh, that was my pursuit for a while. And I got, again, I got pretty good. I, f I finished fifth in the U.S. National Championship in 1980. Wow. Uh, I did qualify for the Olympic trials actually several times. But I got so beat up from the running, and I got so destroyed um, on the inside from the diet, it turns out, mm -hmm. that um, I actually never competed in the Olympic trials race. I was too um, injured and beat up and sick 
by then to be able to train that hard. So I had to, I had literally had to retire from running at a very early age and look back at the time and thought, well, geez, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was trying to go down this, this path of health and fitness and longevity. And I was in the exact opposite uh, predicament. I was unhealthy. I had arthritis in my feet and I had tendonitis in my hips and I had, um, irritable bowel syndrome that ran my life. I had uh, gastroesophageal reflux, um, sinus infections after colds, which I got six or eight times a year. It's like, oh, wait wow. a minute. You know, well, this, this guy's, you know, supposed to be the picture of health because of all the running he's doing and all of the, yeah. um, you know, and, and looking good on the outside. But look, as we know, looking good on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that everything's copacetic on the inside. Wow. Yeah, I think that's so interesting how... You, someone can look like the picture of health, but on the inside, there are so many things going wrong. And was that all due to your diet? Like, what was it about your diet that was causing all of these problems? Well, so it turns out later on, uh, one of the things that I realized after I studied for years about this and had experimented with dietary changes, one of the things was that um, I had this kind of uh, mentality that the furnace will burn anything. The engine will burn anything. And so... I didn't. I stopped paying attention to the quality of the foods that I was eating, and I was just trying to cram a lot of calories down my throat. Uh, and in particular, when it came to the carbohydrates that I felt were required to do all the miles, it wasn't so much about these um, natural complex carbohydrates. It was just about getting any form of carbs. And in fact, the more refined they were, the easier it was to consume them and get lots of them because you know, uh, complex carbs are locked in a fibrous matrix. They take a while to digest. Right. They fill you up quicker. But if they're simple carbs and simple sugars and sweetened beverages and, and you know, cakes and candies and things like that, uh, they tend to be, uh, it, you know, you find out you can consume like lots and lots and lots <laughs> of them in a very it's short period of time. It's all packaged. Yeah. Because it's all packaged and it's, yeah. So that was the kind of the initial revelation was that I was I was consuming a very highly inflammatory diet. I was getting um, the, the sorts of foods that would raise uh, insulin levels, that would cause uh, systemic inflammation, which would lead to predisposition to the itises that I was having and 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 uh, you know some of the injuries. I also uh, recognized fairly early on that even among the car- complex carbs that I was. Um, consuming a lot of um, grains. And mm-hmm. I did an experiment like almost way too late in my life where I gave up grains for 30 days to see what would happen and, wow. and everything went away. It was like the the arthritis went away and the tendonitis went away and the irritable bowel syndrome went away. And uh, that's when I really started to recognize the power of food and the, and the immense... Um, you know, sort of control we have over our own health if we make the right decisions. So that, and again, that was, this is decades ago, I rededicated my life to figuring out ways in which I could um, manifest that strong, lean, fit, happy, productive body that I wanted to have and get longevity uh, without the pain, suffering, sacrifice, discipline, calorie counting, portion control, and all of that stuff, you know. Uh, And that's kind of driven my... um, my pursuit into blogging and and writing books on training and diet and exercise and all the things that that um, revolve around finding ways in which we can affect gene expression. So we can we can literally kind of coach the body, train the body into rebuilding itself in the form that we want, and not be beholden to um, either you know a, sort of a bad genetic hand that we might have been dealt or just be at the mercy of uh, a lifetime of having made bad choices and then giving up and saying, well, that's my, that's my lot. That's my journey. I'm always going to have bad choices. So I, I really try to discover ways in which people can find their own hidden genetic switches and then flip those switches in the direction that they want to build muscle, burn fat, have a strong immune system, um, not be depressed, but in fact, be, uh, you know, be up, up, upbeat all the time. All these things are available if you kind of can throw the right switches with your genes. And that's really the most interesting part about, about the investigation that I do right now is kind of looking at everything that we do from the perspective of, of uh, you know, epigenetics and genetics. That's so cool and so amazing that we can really change the way that we live completely just by, well, I know it's not justified, but especially with food. 
And that's so amazing because sometimes we feel stuck in whatever way we're doing. We're like, no, this is, this is fine, but it's something else with me that's wrong and food can't fix this or exercise can't fix this. So it's so great to know that there are ways out there that we can all help ourselves to make ourselves healthier and happier. Absolutely. And it doesn't just, you know, people, I think, get a real strong experience of what happens if they alter their diet or if they start exercising. But there are other factors that are almost equally as important, like how much sleep do you get? And, right. and when do you get yeah. that sleep? And, you know, how, so are you paying attention to a, a circadian or a di- diurnal rhythm? Um, how much sun exposure do you get? How much, as a result of that, how much vitamin D are you making? Because that's a very important uh, component of health. Or, or you know, yeah. how much play are you engaging in? Because the brain literally craves it, the genes crave it, but a lot of people don't allow for play, particularly after they, you know, they reach um, adulthood. They right. they figure that's the that we'll, we'll reserve that for young people. For kids, yeah, yeah, yeah like, we, no. don't, we don't need to play play anymore. So I look at all these things, and and I'm really fascinated by all of the different lifestyle factors that we can um, assemble, and and all of which have a some action on uh, gene expression. Some of it very profound, and some of it you know, tangential, but still worth, worth noting. And I'm so curious when you started eating more of a paleo primal diet, how did your workouts change when you stopped with the hundred, hundred miles a week of training and the Ironmans and ultramarathons? How did your workouts become more primal and play-like? Um, that was a tough one because, uh, once you start down that path of endurance training, um, you're basically chasing an endorphin high. Mm. So, you know, the body <laughs> isn't really set up to run hard every single day. We can do it. We can override the, the tendency of the, of the brain to want to pull over and take a nap. But when you get into that mind space where you are training hard, particularly if you have a goal in mind of competing, uh, you find that you, you have to kind of put aside the concept of pleasure and and in its place um take on this mantle of pain management and mm. and and managing output and being okay with just feeling like in the zone or feeling like you're managing um the tiredness or the pain cuz there's very few moments when you're racing and and also when you're training hard that you can literally stop and go wow this is fun it's it's not the same concept as playing, you know, a, a ball game or, you know, playing hockey or football or baseball or all these other sports that, you know, even though those guys are some of, uh, and gals are some of the best athletes in the world and they're really working hard, I guarantee you they're having fun. There are moments when they're having fun and it's very rare in a marathon, where you, like I say, when you can yeah. identify. So you have to get into this headspace that is um, about pain management and about sort of overcoming and persevering and being, you know, stronger than the next guy or gal. Uh, and to, to adopt that mindset uh, and then be chasing an endorphin high every single day to know that if you work, your, if you beat yourself up enough, your body will produce these morphine-like substances that will ease the pain uh, and so that you will be able to go to bed at night and then get up and do it again hard the next day and the next day oh. and the next day. Uh, and it's a tough, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough life. Um, it, it, I think it, it, it leads to kind of, um, sacrifice in other areas of your life. Like a lot of people that are into endurance training don't have much of a family life or aren't very productive at work because all the energy is going into this one pursuit. So that's the danger of training for, uh, at high, at the high level of training for marathons, triathlons, things like that. Um, but over the years, as I, um, as I was forced to stop competing and then almost of necessity stopped training hard, it was still difficult for me to stop training hard. So even when I stopped competing, I still wanted to go out and ride hard and, and, yeah. and do whatever I could, you know, without, um, overdoing it, but still put in, in inordinate amounts of miles. It took You're years. So wired it took to it. years yeah. for me to, to come down off of that sense that um, wow. I still needed to do this for myself in order for the day to be valuable, right? Like, like in order for the day to be worth it, I had to have a great workout. 
Uh, and that's just the mindset of a endurance athlete and a lot of athletes. So it takes a while to get rid of that. Um, it took me literally like five years, but once wow. I got, once I get rid of it, the flip side of that is now I can never get it back. So I've thought about like putting on some running shoes and going for a run and I've done it. I've tried maybe five times in the last five years and I'll get literally 200 yards down the road and I'll go, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to do this. I don't have to do this. And I'll turn around and walk home. <laughs> I just, I'm not, and yet I will play two hours of ultimate on a weekend and guys who wear their fitness trackers will, will say, oh, you do, we covered six miles today of sprinting in this, in this game. But because it was so fun, you don't uh. notice it. You don't feel like, you know, when's it going to be over? In fact, in my, the way I look at Sunday Frisbee games is, damn, it's almost over. You know, let's, I'd play, yeah. tw- I'd play 20 more points if everyone else would stick around. But that's so interesting. It's like using your exercise in a way that makes you happy and that's really fun for you. So what you're having concept. fun the whole time. Yeah. That's amazing. What a concept, right? And uh, so now my, a lot of my movement is, is, get, is centered around things that are fun. So I'll go out for a paddle. I love to go out on my board and paddle for an hour. And it's, it's never a workout. It's always just about, it's really meditative for me. So I'll spend yeah. time on the board and I'll be hanging out with dolphins or whales occasionally. Whoa. Uh, and uh, just, you know, hearing the water lapping against the board and getting a good, getting into a good rhythm and a good pace so that it's not, it's not the same sort of aerobic activity that running was. And it certainly isn't pounding the joints. It's a very fluid movement, literally and figuratively. It's a very um, full body kind of, it involves the shoulders and the, and the upper back and the lower back and the core and the legs and the glutes and everything. So it's a, it's a great workout and, and it's fun. And I choose to yeah. do it because like, I, like I, I look forward to it. I, I crave it. I don't get it enough, unfortunately, the, uh, working as hard as I am these days. Yeah. You know, I snowboard. I love to do uh, that as well. That's fun and that's a good workout. So I try to find workouts that are, that are fun uh, so that when I go to the gym, I spend as little time as possible in the gym and what I do in the gym is contemplated to keep me from getting injured. So oh, I try to do the yeah, strengthening yeah. or, or it might be a little bit of a, of conditioning work. It might be some high intensity interval stuff, for instance, like I might do that once or twice a week as well. Cause that applies to my, my, um, to the fun stuff that I do. Oh yeah. Why don't you, I'm so fascinated by intervals because my whole family's into them right now. And for, um, endurance and also just building up wind for any activity, really not just running. Yeah. What do you find, um, helps so much about intervals in your, in your life and in your activity? Well, I mean, the science is pretty clear that intervals are uh, the most efficient way to get a high level of, of adaptation, um, that applies to, um, uh, your heart and to your cardiovascular system and to you know, so your heart and your lungs um, improves what we call capillary perfusion. So you got more capillaries going throughout the muscles, probably upregulates the mitochondria. So you have mi- more mitochondria. We call it mitochondrial biogenesis. Um, that's where the fat burns in every cell is in the mitochondria. So all of these things um, are available to someone who does aerobic activity and low-level aerobic activity, but they get... Um, seriously upregulated when you do interval training. The caveat is you can't train, inter- you, and you wouldn't want to train intervals every day. Right. You know, intervals are something <laughs> you might tiring. do. Yeah, yeah. And if you do it right, you shouldn't be able to do it again for another five days. Right. Now, that doesn't mean you're beat up and you're, you know, lying on the sofa. It just means if you did it right, you'll be sore enough. You'll be, um, you know, you'll, you'll require the repair of those, systems that you are stressing however briefly uh, and that repair can't take place overnight or over even over 48 hours so intervals we say once once a week even once every 10 days is plenty if you do it right um, and there are all manner of intervals you can do uh, on a bike you know you can do after a five minute warm-up you can get on the bike and just go as hard as you can at a, at a high level for 30 seconds and then do a minute and a half rest and then ramp it up again and do another hard 30 seconds you can do that on a treadmill um, and you don't have to run if you've got bad knees. You can just um, put the elevation of the treadmill, the tilt uh, of the treadmill to some of these treadmills today go to 20 or 25 degrees. Wow. You know, it's like walking up a very steep hill. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who was a marathon. He was my roommate in, in prep school. And uh, over the years, he, he wanted to keep running, but he was gaining a little bit of weight. It wasn't, he was doing some other 
you know, working hard at the rest of his life and couldn't run as much anymore. I was getting injured, and I put him on this just walking hard on a treadmill. And he said, this is a better workout than, than I was getting when I was trying to struggle through jogging wow. um, you know, a couple of years ago. So there are ways wow. that we can configure a workout and, and, and even have it be a high-intensity workout without stressing the joints. Because most people, when they hear about high intensity, they think, well, you know, Mark's doing sprints on the beach, and that's nice if you have a beach, and it's nice if, you, if your knees can take it. But if you don't mm-hmm. have either one of those, then you can't do sprints. Well, no, there's a lot of things you can do. You can get on an elliptical and go all out on an elliptical. Um, as I say, I, I do intervals on a bike every once in a while. That's one of my favorite um, pieces of equipment because it just does not stress the joints at all, and yet I can go max hard as I can great. You yeah. know, for 30 seconds or a minute. That's yeah. so amazing that there are these ways that people can get such a good full body workout and just help their endurance and everything without it being so stressful on the body. Because I feel like sometimes we, yeah, like you said, we hear about these high intensity workouts and we're like, whoa, I can't do that. Like that sounds too stressful on my body or my joints can't take that or whatever. But it's so nice that there are ways that people can do that. And I'm curious, what are some other ways that people can get their primal exercise in during the day if they're really busy at work or with their family? You know, it's pretty pretty interesting. I'm, I was on the road um, all last week. Um, I was in Philadelphia and New York and staying in uh, hotels that didn't have gyms and running around from one meeting to the next. And I, I just, I find like I can get such a good pump or such a good workout in a hotel room doing three sets of 50 push-ups and some air squats in between, and just and be done, and say that's all I needed to do. Those were great um, interim choices. Um, they completely exhausted me for the very brief uh, period of time that I did them, but they were because but they didn't leave me exhausted for the rest of the day, and they were energizing, and I got a great pump out of it. And I, to the to the extent that you know I, I went to one meeting and and I got accused of you know. Of having done a, a a massive workout and you know gone to the gym and lifted weights before <laughs> like, the no 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 yeah so uh, as long as you and that, and that's the sort of thing that you can do once in a while and have it be a maintenance workout you know I do spend some days in the gym where I'll do forty five minutes of pretty intense ongoing regular stuff but I can't do that uh, every day anymore I don't want to do that every day anymore anymore. So my workout strategy is um, play hard on Sunday. Um, Mondays is typically I'll sit on a, a bike and I'll just I'll pedal easily and read a book or read a magazine because um, <laughs> I get bored if I spend too much time on yeah, a bike. Yeah. But I'm I'm actually working my joints from from the previous day's hard intense sprinting and changing direction. Now I'm just going through a, a, what I would call a recovery workout. And then Tuesday, I might go to the gym and lift, a, a, do a full, sort of a full body routine, but mostly focused on the upper body. And that's, for me, it's like dips and pull-ups and, and um, I do some squats and lunges in there too, but it's, it, it's upright rows. Um, it's like really minimalist type activities, but they engage as, as many muscles as possible for what I'm doing. There's some, some of them are compound exercises, you know, and, and the, couple of sets of those really intense and that's that's all you need to do really it's It's amazing amazing if you understand that most of your body composition happens as a result of how you eat and most of your tendency to burn off stored body fat happens as your food choices not as a result of the work you did in the gym then you realize you don't have to exercise that much to get fit and to get strong and to uh, perform well in sports it's it's pretty amazing so um, so then that Tuesday would be, you know, maybe a, 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 a weight training day. Um, uh, Wednesday I might go for paddle and, um, and that's a pretty hard workout. So if I did a upper body workout the day before, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm actually doing two upper body workouts in a row, but one of them's in the gym and one of them's having fun on the, on, <laughs> on the board. One of them's in the ocean. Yeah. So that's nice. Exactly. Tuesday I might, you know, do a, a hard interval day on the, on the bike again. Um, you know, Wednesday, I might do a hike or something like that. Um, Saturday or 
where are we at? Friday now? <laughs> yeah. What day sure. are we at? Friday? <laughs> Friday, yeah. Friday. Um, Saturday, I, uh, I'll i probably hit the gym hard again, and I'll probably lift. Do, do the, So I do two upper body workouts a week that are you know, in the gym and, and are resistance training. That's under that primal blueprint law of lift heavy things, right? So those are the two right, days. Right, yeah. Now, one of those days I might alter every couple of weeks, and I might just do a heavy leg day and just do uh, uh, deadlifts and weighted squats okay. um, and maybe some hamstring stuff. Um, but I, 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 you know, I just don't, I don't, sp- I don't spend nearly as much time in the gym as I used to. And it's really gratifying to know that it's like the less time I spend in the gym, the more f- efficient and effective it is. Yeah. And I wonder, like, that must have been kind of scary transitioning from working so hard on your training and endurance to spending so little time on it. Because you have to trust. Yeah. That the body's going to be okay with that and the body's going to yeah. respond well to it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I was remarking to myself about that just the other day. Like, wow, I, I haven't trained that hard for a long time. I've actually been quite feeling a little bit guilty about how little training I've been doing because I've been on the road. And yet I was, you know, when I went to the gym, I was as strong as ever. And I had one of my best ultimate games yesterday. And congratulations. Uh, thank you. It's, <laughs> it's, I mean, and I sort of, I mark my progress week by week on how how well my you know what my frisbee games look look like. That's awesome. Yeah, That's and so my son cool. plays. He's now twenty three, and he started when he was ten. So we've been playing for thirteen years. Wow, you guys play together in the same every game. every Sunday for thirteen Aww. years, and we ha- we we have a different team every every week. So a bunch of uh, stragglers show up every Sunday. We have about a mailing list of about forty five people on any given Sunday. There will be anywhere from a minimum of ten people show up to a, a maximum like thirty will show up sometimes. So, but we'll pick teams, and we'll pick teams based on everybody. We, we everybody knows the relative strengths of everybody else, so we'll match like like players on on opposite sides. So the two best players will be on opposite teams. The two worst players will be on opposite teams. No judgment, by the way, on the worst <laughs> players. But, um, if you guys are listening, yeah. Um, and so, but I always sort of or- orchestrate it so that I'm on Kyle's team, on my son's team, and the weekends that and this has been like. Again, for the last thirteen years, we have such great father-son combinations. He'll he'll hit me on a long bomb to the end zone. He'll know where I'm gonna want, where I'm gonna be, or I'll do the same with him. And he's become a, he's like one of the best frisbee players in Southern California. Whoa! So oh he gosh. can he can out jump just about anybody. And those thirteen years played out. They have oh, for him. <laughs> big no huge big time. I mean, it, it's really it's it's a but it's you know it's the most fun I have all week. It's just because it becomes that game of uh, ultimate with people that I know well and I get to play with my son and so that's our hangout time because now he doesn't live at home and so that's one of the few times we see each other during the week so it's a it's you know it's been a, a lot of fun to, to get to that point that's like I feel like that's the perfect example of fitness not being just for fitness yeah. it being for fun and play and hanging out with loved ones and friends yeah. and yeah for sure and everybody incredible. who plays We'll say two things. They'll say it's the most, uh, most of the guys will say it's the most fun they have all week and it's the hardest workout they'll do all week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. That whole engages your entire body frisbee. Yeah. That's amazing. And back to paleo for a second, before we go into it, um, for those listeners who haven't maybe been introduced to paleo or primal yet, um, can you just explain to us what that consists of? Sure. Well, you the know, basics. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, a lot of people have sort of erroneously referred to it as a caveman diet. It's a, the concept is that you're going to eat foods that are appropriate for uh, human consumption. And by that, I mean that we evolved over millions of years. Well, humans evolved over millions of years, but before that, as mammals, hundreds of millions of years. Uh, evolved, we evolved to eat certain ways. Our genes expect us to eat certain ways. Uh, our genes expect us to eat in cer- certain types of food, certain quality fats and, and clean proteins and, um, and, and complex carbs, uh, f- vegetables and fruits and, and meat. And our body does not expect us to be eating processed foods, to be eating lots of sugar, sugar-laden drinks, pies, c- cakes, candies, cookies, um, breads even. Uh, our bodies didn't, really don't expect us to be consuming these industrial seed oils that we have figured out a way to press corn and to press rapeseed and to press soy and get canola and soybean oil and corn oil. And these are, um, it turns out, are very detrimental to our health, and yet they're 
they become a, a major part of the standard American diet. And everything, yeah. Everything. So the, the, the paleo diet, the primal blueprint, the ancestral uh, way of looking at, uh, at our eating habits and our ways of eating would suggest that if we removed all of those processed frankenfoods and in, in its place or in their place just eat lots of vegetables and some fruit and um, you know wild uh, pastured beef and, and, and eggs from free-range chickens and wild-caught fish, uh, and went back to what our ancestors ate, that we would be giving our genes the sort of information that they require to build strong bodies and to live longer and to not get sick. How does eating paleo really affect your performance? Like when you stopped eating so many carbohydrates when you were running and stuff and you did that 30 days of, it was 30 days, right, yeah. of no um, grains, yeah. how did that affect your body initially? Well, um, so pr- before I gave up grains, I'd also I'd ha- I st- had done a lot of research on the on the industrial seed oil. So I gave up the unhealthy fats first, and I st- and in their place, by the way, I still certainly ate lots of avocado, coconut, coconut oil. Oh yeah, um, you know things like that, even butter. But I um, but I, ga- I gave up the, the seed oils, and I gave I'd given up the sugar, um, which was a profound in and of itself because sugar is very inflammatory for a lot of people. And, mm-hmm. and sugar was one of the reasons, for instance, that I didn't sleep well because I'd have a lot of sugar at the end of the day oh. and, you know, my insulin levels go up and the heart rate, you know, goes up as a result of that. And um, Barry Sears, who was the originator of the zone diet, had a very kind of interesting statement he made early on, which was that every bite of food you eat has a hormonal effect. Wow. And those hormones change with the types of food that you take in. So we have insulin and we have glucagon and we have the leptin and ghrelin and, te- and, and uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol. So we have all these different hormones that are responding to the signals that are provided by, in this case, the food that we eat. So by choosing s- certain types of food, you can prompt either uh, the, the hormones to increase fat storage. For instance, if you take in a lot of sugar and a lot of fat at the same time, insulin goes up and insulin is a, um, a nutrient storage hor- hormone. So it will prompt the body to want to take excess nutrients and store them in the fat cells. Um, it'll try to store them in the muscle cells first, but if the muscle cells are full of glycogen, it'll go right to the, to the fat cells. So um, when I gave up sugar and gave up processed grains, first of all, just flours and things like that, um, I noticed that I slept better. I noticed that um, I didn't have these wild energy swings throughout the day. Mm. And that was a result of my having taken control of the insulin that I was producing. Um, and I was still very insulin sensitive because I was still active. And I was still, so I'd burn through all my glycogen in a day. And then I'd, you know, take in a lot of carbs to reload, uh, to carbo-load the, the, the glycogen for the next day's workout or whatever oh it was, you know. yeah. Um, so those, those were, um, st- I kind of stair-stepped my way into eliminating certain types of food, but it was getting, giving up the grains where I noticed that I had probably, um, developed leaky gut over the years as a result of the choice of, of the grains and the legumes that I was consuming and yeah. in giving those up, that's where the arthritis subsided like completely. And that's where Whoa. the irritable bowel syndrome that literally kind of dictated, you know, how I moved about the day from one um, restroom to another, um, that went away. And that was like, wow. the, that was life changing for me. So wow. profound. Um, so it was, I kind of stair stepped my way into this paleo diet and into this primal blueprint way of eating. Um, but, you know, it was all like, as my wife would say, divinely perfect. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's such a great way to, to get into the diet, not just like suddenly cutting out everything. Cause that can be so hard yeah. when you're wired to eat all of the carbs and the sugar and the oils and doing it slowly. One thing. Uh, well, one it thing worked for next. me. I mean, I, yeah. I, I have a lot of people who've done the primal blueprint who will say the only way to do it is to go, you know, cold Turkey and just, to Oh, go, that's interesting. Some people need that. Some people need yeah. that. And that's why that's true. like Melissa Hartwig and her whole 30 would say, this is the only way to do it. The best, well, not the only, but the, but the best way to do it is just to go, all in for 30 days and then see how you feel. And as a result of how you feel, um, you know, adapt your diet 
for the future. So when you get, go off that elimination program and you start to reintroduce foods, mm-hmm. at least you're paying attention to which ones are, are problematic for you. So it becomes like an yeah. experiment of one. Yeah, and listening to your body. And I'm so curious, did you did you start getting more in tune with your body when you started paying attention more to the food you were eating and the exercise you were doing and not just overriding all of those hormones and primal instincts? I mean, I... That's a great question, Sadie, because I, I think I was um, so um, immune, immune to, the, to the pain, if you will, of having a bad stomach ache every day or to have to you know, move slowly for the first 20 minutes every morning when I got up until my ankles would unlock and be fluid. Um, and over time, I think the body tends to um, mask that kind of pain just because it's not pleasant, so the body has these ways of, of adapting to the pain. Um, then when you clean your act up and you realize, wow, I, just, I, I, I don't have to you know, limp for the first 20 minutes every morning. I can actually no, walk yeah. straight out of bed. Or you know, I don't have to you know, um, suffer from a debilitating stomachache the first thing in the morning. Wow. And, and then, then you almost get used to the other part, which is not appreciating how great you feel now because that's the normal (laughs) yeah you know yeah and and it's it's a weird kind of thing so the body tends to want to kind of like settle into whatever condition it's in and and have that be the norm so now i have to remind myself wow like if i would have been traveling on the road years ago i would have been first of all i would have a stomach ache just about every day i would have had to you know relieve myself several times during the day as a result of that i would have um you know, I would have muddled through the day, but just to have gratitude now that that that's not my life anymore, yeah. and I'll and I'll literally be driving to the airport sometimes, and think and just have a kind of a nice, comfortable, warm feeling in my body and my stomach. Wow, this is how it's supposed to be, and I'd forgotten how that that this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. I meet so many people in just going throughout the country and traveling who, you know, who have aches and pains but who've kind of settled into that being a normal part of their life. And they don't complain about it, and they almost don't notice it, but they're there. And then when they decide they want to do something about it, and the aches and pains go away, then they, that's, it's then that they realize, wow, this, is, I've been, this has been available to me all this time, and I just assumed that my condition was what it was, that I was doomed to kind of live that way. I was kind of you know, accepting of it as being my default you know, painful condition, and all of a sudden to have access to and have it be av- this this new pain-free life be available is amazing. Yeah. Now the, it's a good news, bad news because the good news is you did that and you were able to make that transition. The bad news is that if you go off the wagon and you go back to your old ways, now it's really going to hurt. Now you're going to notice it because now you're coming from the perspective of having been pain-free and having not had the inflammation and having not taken the medications and now if you go back to the old way now you'll really notice it right yeah it makes you notice everything so much more I had the exact same thing when I was really when I was like nine I had that's when I first got into gluten-free because I had so many debilitating stomach aches and nausea every single day and when I went gluten-free after the first few months it went away but then like a few years later about three years later I started getting it again and I was freaking out I was like I don't know why and then we realized we're like, oh, this whole paleo thing. Oh, right, grains. So we cut out grains, and then I get none of that again. But what, so how did you uh, go pain free the first time if you didn't if you hadn't cut out grains the first time? Just cutting out gluten. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. that did the trick for a while. But then we realized. I think I was in seventh grade, so that was three years ago. We realized that um, we were eating so many gluten free grains. And that those were really upsetting my stomach and my mom's stomach and really everyone in our family. Right. So we so just, it was, wasn't be, just because it wasn't <laughs> gluten didn't mean it wasn't having an effect on you. Exactly. Yeah, there are yeah. different analogs of gluten that other grains have that can be just as problematic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now we will have like a little bit of rice sometimes, but we're mostly grain free right. because we just feel so much better. Right. So it's true that when you when you go back to something after feeling so great, you really you really realize it and yeah. you can feel it in your body. Yeah. And that makes you so much more in tune with it, too. Well, it does. It, like I say, it's good news, bad news, because I've met people who, who went paleo for three or four years and had amazing results, and then for some reason went back to, you know, six sodas a day and 
pasta and you know they they look terrible they feel terrible and now the problem is they know the reason so now it's it's literally not something they can hide behind and say well i wish i knew what was going on now it's the danger of that is that now your brain absolutely understands what you need to do to get out of that rut there's no excuse so now it's just a choice that you make on a daily basis yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you're like, this is what I have to do. If yeah. I'm going to want to feel good, I have to do this. Exactly. But at yeah. least you know. At least you know yeah. what makes you feel good. Right. And I'm curious how you implement this paleo diet into all of your workouts. Like, what is your go-to um, pre- and post-workout foods that are, you know, really simple and everyone can do for themselves? Yeah, so I don't do either pre- or post-workout meals. Ah, um, there we go. The yeah, secret <laughs> revealed. It is the secret. So... Um, I've been doing a compressed eating window for uh, seven or eight years. What that means is that I'm so good at burning fat, if I do say so myself, um, I've, <laughs> you may, I've, you I've become a fat-burning beast. I've trained my body to, to <laughs> access so much energy from either stored body fat or from the fat on, on, in the, on the plate that I'm eating um, that I wake up in the morning and I have all the energy I need. So I don't, I'm not hungry. I'm, I don't wow. feel compelled to eat. So I don't eat. I don't eat the most important meal of the day. Yeah. Um, I have a cup of coffee. I go to work. Um, I might break for my workout at 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Again, I'll do a hard, I'll do a hard uh, intense you know, interval session. I'll do a hard paddle session. I'll do a hard lifting session. I don't care. I don't eat before that. I don't eat after that when I get home. So even though I'm, and I might come home around 10.30 or maybe even 11 and then go back to work and I have my first meal at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so wow, that's, that's incredible. So that's, yeah. So, but it's, but it, it works so well for me and it's what, uh, you know, I, I'm the, my, my whole purpose is to enjoy life to its fullest extent. And part of that involves enjoying every bite of food I eat and, and enjoying every bite of food I eat also involves eating when I'm hungry, not eating when I'm not hungry. Listening to your And body. just, you know, listening. So because people will, you know, I'll tell this story and people go, wow, how can you possibly not eat breakfast? First of all, I'd be ravenous. And second of all, it's the most important meal of the day. What are you eating for breakfast? Yeah, yeah. And I just... What are you eating for dinner? Um, I don't, because I don't eat breakfast. Um, and my first meal of the day is a salad, usually a, a big-ass salad, with um, one of my Primal Kitchen dressings on it. The best, the best. Yeah. So, uh, but, it, it, you know, that that's a, a type of food that also gives the right signals to my body to continue to burn fat and not be so reliant on carbohydrates. Uh, and recently I wrote a book called The Keto Reset Diet. So um, the keto or ketogenic eating uh, or a ketogenic diet is, is really kind of the logical next step of being paleo or primal. Paleo or primal kind of puts you in that um, state of being where you're less reliant on glucose you're becoming better and better at burning fat, but you haven't yet developed that true metabolic flexibility where you can make ketones from fat and then burn those ketones as fuel in the brain. So uh, I wrote a book called The Keto Reset Diet, which looks at ways in which we can spend a few weeks or a few months um, keto, in, eating ketogenically, which is a, a very pronounced reduction in carbohydrate to, say, less than 50 grams a day. Uh, which forces your body to start to make, to burn. It forces your body to become really good at burning fat. That's that goes without saying, almost. So that's how you got to only have to eat at one p.m. Yeah, so it's through keto. It's through. Well, no, it's it, it, what's in, in, and thank you for bringing that up. So I wasn't keto. I was just low carb. Oh, but I was okay. like 100 grams, 110 grams of carbs a day, and that was enough to get me to the point where I was good at burning fat. Okay, and that was enough to get me to the point at which um, I I could that my hunger was substantially mitigated throughout the day. But because I'm always chasing performance and I'm always looking for the next thing and I'd read enough about keto, I wrote about keto in The Primal Blueprint 10 years ago. And I've spent two days a week um, in keto over the past couple of decades, but I'd never spent a long period of time there. And so that's what I wanted to do was really kind of experiment with what happens if I, if I restrict carbs for six weeks, and in my case, a little more than two months at a time without ever coming out of keto. And I noticed some, I, I had more energy. I noticed that um, I, I preserved muscle even more. 
Um, I cut I cut out even more body fat. I started to burn off even more body fat, and I didn't think I had that much to lose. Um, I slept better. Um, I got I needed less sleep throughout the night, and I think that was a result of my brain um, doing the work it needs to do while you're sleeping more efficiently on ketones than on glucose. Thank you, fat, for yeah, for well, that. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, fat, for becoming ketones. Right, and ketones, in the brain, yeah. yeah. in the brain. So um, it was really, again, it's just like I'm always interested in how we can take some uh, information that the body uses to, to reconfigure um, how it derives energy and, and implement that in a, in a lifestyle, in a way of eating in this case, um, that builds greater metabolic flexibility. To me, metabolic flexibility means your body is good at extracting energy from fat, whether it's on a plate or on your thighs, um, extracting energy from glucose. If you've overdone the glucose, or if you've overconsumed carbohydrates, no big deal. doesn't cost you anything. Um, or if you've, um, you know, or, or and making ketones and being efficient at using ketones and burning them in the brain. So it's a, it's a skill. It's like the Keto Reset was really kind of looking at um, how do we train the body to do this the same way you'd, you'd say to yourself, well, I want to run a 10K in six weeks, but I'm not going to train for it. I'm just going to go run the 10K. Well, you know, not many people would do that. It's not, it's not that smart. You, it doesn't you, work, people. Don't try it. If, <laughs> if you want to run a 10K, you probably have to do a little bit of training. And if you train, you know, reasonably well, uh, it's you know, it, it, you'll you'll complete the 10K and you won't be beat up and you won't feel terrible and you'll be happy with your with your results. So the keto reset diet is about training for this six week period, you know, or two months or whatever it is for you. But six weeks is sort of the kind of the entry level period. Training your body to be so good at burning fat and so good at making ketones and and unreliant, no longer reliant on having to have a meal that contains carbohydrates every three hours all day long. Um, that that flexibility then stays with you for the rest of the year. And as long as you don't go back to eating 400 grams of carbs a day and eating pies and cakes and candies and cookies and ice cream and soft drinks and all that other stuff, as long as you're reasonably diligent about consuming um, vegetables and a little bit of fruit and maybe even some starchy tubers once in a while, uh, that you'll you'll have that flexibility and you'll be you'll still be good at burning fat. You'll still be good at making ketones. And in the event that you skip a meal, either by design or by accident, Nothing bad happens. You still maintain cognition. Your attitude it's is amazing. fine. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a, and it's a very useful tool. Like I again, I was traveling last week, and I you know I had a couple of six hour flights, and I just don't eat on the flight, and I'm fine. And I get to where I'm going, and I don't eat, and I'm fine. And I might have dinner finally as the first meal of the day, and it tastes great, and I enjoy the heck out of it. And then I go, yeah. you know, wake up the next morning, and I'm perfectly you know energized and ready to hit the ground wow i love that and i love not having to be so dependent on food especially when you're on planes and stuff what an amazing tool we flew to europe recently and the food was like horrible yeah and not on the plane on the plane not in europe not in europe yeah, oh yeah. gosh okay, no. so let's be clear yeah <laughs> we weren't eating the most keto diet per se yeah. but um the the gluten-free meal on the plane was not um edible yeah so it's a great way to have that little fast in there and to have your body be readily available to no absolutely i carry I, you through so i don't i mean i do have a compressed eating window so i eat my first meal at at one o'clock and i eat my last meal at seven generally so i have within a six hour window i'm consuming all the foods i'm going to consume for the day and then during the 18 hours that i'm not eating or the whatever time that winds up being you know i'm burning fat i'm i'm doing some internal house cleaning in my cells so my cells are looking at repairing themselves because they're not inundated with glucose and all this other you know fuel that w that they have to figure out a way to dispose of um so it's a, it's a very efficient way of it, it's actually part of an anti-aging strategy for a lot of people is wow. to have this compressed eating window because um, most of the good stuff happens when you're not eating um and that's so the, so some people choose to go long periods of time they might go a day or two without eating and that's an extended fast uh I would look at travel as an opportunity. It's kind of a forced. So I don't plan. Yeah. I don't plan my extended fast, but I, but I fit them in every once in a while because I'm traveling and I'll go. Oh, here's a nice time to not eat for, <laughs> you know, and then and, and have it be fine. And in the old days when I was a sugar burner and I was an athlete and I depended on always having full glycogen stores and carbo loading all the time. Like if I went more than five hours without eating, I would be frantically looking for something to, to you know to bring my blood sugar back up or to take that thought out of my head that I'm cannibalizing all the muscle tissue that I work so hard to build. 
all that stuff kind of disappears when you become good at burning fat, when you become keto-adapted and fat-adapted. Then if you withhold carbohydrate, if you withhold calories, if you withhold food for literally days at a time, you just become this closed system that can access stored body fat, can take some of the glycerol off that triglyceride and make glucose with it a little bit, take the three the three fatty acids and either burn them as fuel or send them to the liver and make ketones, which then the brain can use as fuel in place of glucose. It's just, and, and, and one of the effects of... of the production of ketones, because ketones are, are very powerful epigenetic signaling devices, uh, is that the body gets signaled to start to um, spare protein. So to the extent that you don't burn that much protein, you don't use that much protein for days at a time. So it becomes this kind of closed, this closed system that's very energy efficient. Um, it doesn't you know, result in um, feeling beat up or, or haggard or inefficient or fuzzy thinking or any of that stuff. You know, and if you, if you think back to one of the opening um, discussion points that we talked about was, was human evolution and over millions of years, how we survived to get to where we are today was partly based on this notion that we are wired to eat everything in sight because um, ancient humans, when they came across food, didn't just eat a meal and then think, okay, I better back off because I'm gonna have, lunch is coming up at right. noon, and right. then there's dinner at six, right. right? So we're wired to overeat because because the body is so beautifully efficient at storing excess calories as fat. But our ancestors were also equally as elegantly and efficiently wired to take that excess fat and burn it as energy, and last two or three days without any food at all and not just survive and not just not die but thrive in that condition and be more efficient at, at hunting and more efficient at, um, at, at moving to the next source of fuel. So unfortunately, in this day and age, we retain that really wonderful ability to take excess calories and store them as fat. But we've kind of lost the the opposite ability, which is to take those excess calories that we've stored as fat and take them out of storage and burn them as energy efficiently and, and go long periods of time without having to eat. So fascinating. And that's amazing that all of this has been discovered and that we know now that this is all not what we were intended to be eating. And But I feel like we're still always told to eat carbohydrates right before exercising. And I'm just wondering, how does that work with keto and say your interval training? Do you always, you said you drink your coffee before you do your workout. Do you put fat in it or protein, like collagen or do you just drink it and go? Yeah, so I drink my coffee pretty early in the morning. So usually about 6.30. Um, sometimes before a workout, I will take a collagen supplement, but that's not, that's not contemplated to give me any kind of energy boost at all. That's okay. that's a raw material. Just for your body. That's a raw material that my ligaments and tendons and joints are going to incorporate, presumably, um, after the workout, after I've wailed on them for you know whatever period of time. Because uh, for me, um, my my main goal in training and in playing is to not get injured. I'm kind of an old guy. And I, you know, injuries are not, <laughs> injuries are not, you know, in, in the old days when I was 19, I twist an ankle and I'd be, you know, three steps later, oh, that's okay, that's fine. And then, you know, then you're in your 30s and 40s and you twist an ankle and it's a week. And now, you know, at my age, um, that's a, it's a serious, it's six weeks of recovery if you do that. I think a lot of that's due to the fact that we don't give ourselves the raw materials that our joints need. To repair, so that's one of the reasons that I make a collagen supplement and I take it on a on a regular basis. Me and, too. You know, and knock wood. Best. Yeah, and knock wood. I mean, I you know my my joint issues have resolved substantially since I've been doing that. Wow, from the just from the collagen. Yeah. So I might I might say that I take the collagen, but I do not take a pre workout energizing formula of any kind. So I don't take carbohydrates. I don't take I don't take regular protein before or after a workout. Now, the reason, one of the reasons is, I, since I don't work out hard every day, um, I don't, like I get 90% of my energy needs from fat. So I could be going at, at um, 80, 85% of my max heart rate 
and get most of my energy from fat because I've become so good at burning fat that I don't need the carbohydrate anymore if I'm doing sub-threshold activity, right? If I'm not, if I'm not going like 100% all out. If I am going 100% all out and I need the glycogen that's in my muscles, um, it's there. It doesn't, it doesn't not restore itself just because you don't eat carbs. The body will make enough glucose to repair to to restore glycogen but over a period of days not the next day which is my old you know the old habit which was exhaust glycogen by running 20 miles today eat 600 grams of carbs right tonight and then yeah. have it all be re- replenished so that i could do 15 miles again tomorrow wow or 20 or 10 miles on the track or something um but i don't do that anymore since i don't train hard every day the body will replenish glycogen just more slowly. Well, if it's going to take three days to replenish glycogen, um, almost as much as if you just carbo-loaded, um, but take three days instead of um, 18 hours, who cares? I don't need the glycogen um, because I'm not training hard every day. So it becomes less of a carb management issue for me just because I'm purposely not training hard anymore when I go hard, I go really hard. But when I but then the other days, I back off and I back way off. I wrote a book two years ago called uh, Primal Endurance, and in that, the whole theory in Primal Endurance is when you go long and slow, go really long and really slow. Mm. When you go short and fast, go really short and really fast. And, I love that. And it gives me such a good excuse for going slow. Yeah, I no, run. I mean, and, and then and then what what it'll do is it'll train you to be when you do get in a race, then you'll be able to race at a at a very high level. Um, and unfortunately most people, and I was one of them for years and years, train in what we call this no man's land, uh, or this black hole zone where you're, you're running at a heart rate that's say 80% of your max heart rate. It's not a hundred, but it's 80%. It's a lot though. And it's every day and it's day in and day out. And the fact that you can do it is partly predicated on the fact that you're, you're, you know, you're consuming so many carbs in the evening before and the morning of that you're able to, to provide this glucose, this sugar to do it again and again and again and again every day, but you're not developing any kind of fat-burning enzymes, fat-burning systems, and all you're doing is beating yourself up so you never get any faster because you're not going, you're, you're going too, too fast to burn fat, so you're still just burning glycogen, but you're going too slow to develop high-end speed of any kind. So you're in what we call this, this no-man's land of training that all it does is beat you up, and that's, the, that's typical of so many millions of people who train for 10ks and marathons and triathlons and and, and bike races and things like that they're they're wow. in this this um this no man's land go until you drop and just wear yourself out and feel good so, about it too yeah. and feel like oh right I'm, like I'm, oh an accomplishment yeah i feel so beat up i gotta yeah. take a nap i must have had a great workout Gosh. today but if the, the point isn't to beat yourself up the point is to get better and more efficient right at racing theoretically i mean some people you know take a lot of um, joy in beating themselves up and, and you know because it for whatever reason feels like, I mean look I have people I know people at the gym I see them all the time uh, dude you're like you're running on that treadmill and you're doing 450 calories or 500 calories a day on the treadmill uh, do you race? no I don't race well why do you do that? because uh, I like to eat wait mm. a minute you're you know like you. yeah it's a complete wrong approach you're doing right. all this sweating and groaning and struggling and suffering to burn off some calories so you can have a few more bites of something that you probably shouldn't be eating in the first place. It just doesn't make any sense. And yet a lot of people go to the gym with that, that kind of mindset. You know, um, well, it, I, know it, I know it's good for my heart. That's one thing. And I like to eat, so I want to be able to deserve, you know, a cupcake or whatever it is. I'm, or, right. You know, it's uh, that I, I'm worthy yeah, of exactly. it. If it. And yeah. it's almost like, and it's, you know, that's like exercise bulimia is, a, is kind of a yeah. term that we use. And um, and it's really prevalent in big ex-football playing men, for instance. You know, that's like, okay, dude, you've been working your ass off for like years and you still weigh 250. What's going on? Well, I like my wine and I like to eat, but I come to the gym and I sweat it all off. Um, well, I'm just going to say there's a, there's a much more efficient way of going about this than your current approach, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. Yeah. And when we're talking about fat, we've all been so wired, you know, low fat, which is gets replaced with high sugar. Yeah. So what are these fats that you're talking about eating so much on the keto diet and even just paleo and primal? Um, 
And is that good for us? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we go back to what was discovered in the last 10 years, which is that, first of all, uh, fat isn't necessarily all bad for us. Uh, saturated fat is not the proximate cause of heart disease. That's been clearly established. Um, but, but the schools just refuse to oh, talk about they that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, all foods exist on this spectrum of great choices to not so great choices. And so in the spectrum of fats, there are some awesome healthy fats that I would encourage everyone to consume. Um, those oils and fats that are high in uh, monounsaturates. So avocado oil, um, extra virgin olive oil uh, would be high on that list. Um, then we talk about some of the healthy saturated fats. So coconut oil is a, is a healthy saturated fat. Butter is great. And ghee and, and even lard, some of the natural animal fats, are, are great to cook with and great to use uh, in dressings. We look at some of the nuts. Macadamia nuts are a great source of fats. They're probably the best source of, of nut fat there is. And, and, and mac nuts are my favorite kind of go-to snack. Best in those Primal Kitchen macadamia nut sea salt bars. Have yeah. you heard of those? Oh, yeah. Those are really great. I think yeah. I heard I, somebody said that they were pretty good. I got to try one sometime. Yeah, you should. They're good. Um, you know, eggs are, for the longest time, where, you know, conventional wisdom would say, oh, you got to cut back to e- on your eggs to zero. And because now we know that eggs are eggs from pastured hens, you know, that have been fed their mm-hmm. native diet are, are awesome. Um, yeah, av- I like avocados as a, as a fruit great source of fat so there and then of course grass-fed meats these are um beef that's been you know fed it's which is those animals are they evolve to eat grass not to eat grains so when you grain feed them they get fat pretty quickly and that's i guess good for uh the the farmer who's trying to fatten his uh, cows up for market quickly but then that's because that's not their day to diet they get sick and you have to give them antibiotics and that starts that whole cycle of of um uh, less than desirable uh, meat. Yeah. Um, you know, fish exists on a spectrum. There's wild salmon, one of the best things you can eat. Then there's, you know, farmed, some of the farmed tilapia is not so good, yeah. depending on where it's grown. So you have to be kind of mindful about about what you eat. But just fats in general, um, if you get rid of the, um, the trans fats, which we all know now to be, these are the, the alter, chemically altered fats that, that have been, in fact, banned in some cities and states. Um, uh, the partially hydrogenated fats and oils that are pervasive in all of the center of the the center aisles of your of your grocery store in the processed and packaged foods. Get rid of those. Get rid of corn oil. Get rid of soybean oil. Get rid of of uh, canola. And um, you know, you'll you'll be on your way to a healthier body and more energy and. A fat-burning beast. Fat-burning beast. I love it. And before we wrap up the show, why don't you tell us... Okay, so you have an incredible family, I just want to say. Truly amazing. Thank you. And your and your wife's kids are up to a really amazing project right now that um, my family and I have had the pleasure of going to. What is this amazing? Primal Kitchen (laughs) is a restaurant. Um, My my children, uh, Devin and Kyle... Uh, built it and they have opened it in Culver City and they're running it now and uh, it's basically a uh, fast casual restaurant that serves all of the dishes that you wish you could eat but are afraid to because they're typically made with gunk in other restaurants but we make it with uh, again with butter and lard and ghee and avocado oil and all of the healthy fats and oils Um, so it's you know locally sourced organic natural where where possible uh, and it's getting tremendous traction from people are coming in. And oh, yeah. for instance, um, you know, where else could you get chicken and waffles? And it's the chicken, so good, you the guys. Chicken is or, you know organic chicken, and the waffles are grain-free waffles. Uh, and so you don't, you you know, you leave feeling like you had a great meal, and leave energized rather than rather than stumbling out of there going, oh my god, what did I just do? which happens yeah. so often in some restaurants, right? Uh, yeah, and it's literally the first restaurant I've ever been to where I can just go and order anything off the menu. You right. have to feel like right. it might be unsafe, it's not good for me. You just know that it's well-sourced right. and delicious. Right. Now I just have a few rapid-fire questions for you so we can get to know you, Mark, okay. further. What's your favorite workout? Uh, well, paddling. Stand-up paddling is my favorite workout. What's your favorite activity to do with your family? 
uh, travel. Every year we take an uh, extended uh, vacation to uh, some new city in a foreign land that we've never been to, and we rent a house there, and we, we hang out and try to, to uh, um, insert ourselves into the culture. What's your favorite menu item at Primal Kitchen, the restaurant? Oh, now you're like asking me to name a favorite. That's like asking <laughs> someone to name their favorite. Which is your favorite child? child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I just, um, the short rib is still probably one of my favorite menu items. The ever. raspberry barbecue short rib. Yes. That's my favorite too. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. What's your favorite dessert? Now, I know this one is hard for you. You're not into desserts, but so, sometimes. No, it's, it's actually an easy one. <laughs> so my favorite dessert is, is uh, blueberries, raspberries, and mascarpone with whipped cream. So good, and that's a menu item yeah. at Primal Kitchen. That's why it's there, because yeah. I insisted that it be on the that it be on the menu. I love yeah. it; it's so refreshing. What makes you jump for joy? Um, seeing my kids successful. Thank you so much, Mark. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jump for Joy. Make sure to subscribe and write a review. For healthy recipes and joyful living tips, check out my blog, GoodiesAgainstTheGrain.com. And follow me on Instagram at goodies against the grain. See you next time.